Please be advised that this story touches on issues relating to mental health and suicide, which some listeners may find upsetting. Hi, I'm Micah. And I'm Sydney. And this is a podcast called Conversations with Sydney. That's me. You've reached the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. We are here to help. Today, we're going to speak with a researcher at Columbia University whose groundbreaking work proved that telephone hotlines could save lives. My name is um, Natalie Gould. I'm a professor of epidemiology in psychiatry at Columbia University in New York City. Madeline, Sydney and I were talking recently about a moment when Sid raised that they were involved in self-harm and they wanted to talk about it. And I think my wife and I both freaked out. We were like, oh my God, that's terrible. Oh my, you know, what, you know, why? And Sydney said that our response was so dramatic that they decided not to talk about it with us anymore. Is that right, Sid? Yeah, it was, it was a while ago. Um, but I just remember that night it was just like, because I think a lot of kids think like, they don't want to burden their parents with this or that it's too much of a stress. They've done so much for me already. But also our reaction scared you. You thought we couldn't handle it. Yeah, honestly, a little bit, because I think it was very like, you expressed that you were very concerned and it was scaring you a lot. And it was like, you know, it was an expression that you cared, but at the time I saw it as this is too much and I shouldn't bring this up because I don't want to put this burden on them. When you said that you felt that you were a burden and that you were afraid to become a burden, that unfortunately is a very, very common feeling that people who need help feel. That they'll think, well, they'd be better off without me, or I, you know, I shouldn't share this information because, as you said, it will freak them out or it will be a burden. Yeah, or like it's not their job. What you were feeling is not unique, and that that's something that we want to make sure that people know that that's not true. What will be a burden is if that you keep it to yourself and that they don't know what's going on, and then if they found out that you kept it to yourself and, you know, hurt yourself, that would that's the burden. We try to teach parents and even mental health professionals to listen so that the response isn't shock or overreaction. They've learned to say, we're here for you. We are sorry that you're in, you know, so much pain. And we are here no matter what, in good times, in bad times, hard times, easy times, and that there's nothing that you can't share with us. We will work together as a family to figure out how to make things better for you. Can you now please tell me what's going on? Clearly, as a parent, I've reacted in pretty much all the wrong ways. I had no idea that that I was making it worse by my reaction. Don't we all? I mean, so many of us, including me. So Madeline, how did you get started working in the field of suicide prevention? 
So I started working in this field in 1984. And at that time, we would hear psychologists and psychiatrists say, well, you know, I really try to avoid asking my patients about suicide because of a concern that it might put ideas into their heads. And, um, you know, we really felt the need to conduct research that would examine that. And we did find that, you know, asking kids about suicide didn't put it into their heads turns out that if you don't ask the question and someone is at risk of suicide or has previously been thinking about suicide, that they are actually more upset if you don't ask the question. We're having this conversation at a time where one in five kids seriously thought about suicide last year. So it, this isn't just a few kids, right? This isn't just a few kids. This isn't just a few families. Many young people are looking for the opportunity to share with someone who's not gonna be afraid to hear the answer and who they can trust, that they wanna share the information that they're thinking about doing something that um, could harm them, that could kill them. What we need to do is to make sure that parents have the skill set before anything happens, and hopefully nothing ever will happen, but you know, many, 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 many young people are going through some very hard times. You know, some are suicidal and, you know, some are just so angry or some are depressed, maybe not suicidal, but just feeling so down on themselves. And they need to know that their parents are there for them no matter what. What if kids can't turn to their parents for help? But if the young person doesn't feel as if there is that support in the home, or that some of the unbearable stress is occurring in the home, which does happen, you know, they need to know resources outside of the home. What sort of resources are available? And what can you tell us about the new 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline? So knowing that there's a resource like 988 or the crisis text line, the young person who's in distress and they don't have anybody else to talk to, they should know that they can always reach someone who will be skilled and know how to engage with them and not, you know, quote, freak out when, when someone says that they're suicidal. How can a phone call help somebody who's suicidal? It seems a little counterintuitive. I had the same question myself, and even more so for text. You know, you say, well, how could a text do that? By a crisis counselor listening and validating a person's pain and not being afraid to sit there with the person in that very, what could be distressing space, someone is talking about suicide, if they're talking to the parent, the parent might say, your life is so good. Oh, what do you have to worry about? And oh, please don't engage in that behavior. Well, that's not what a crisis counselor does. You know, a crisis counselor will first really develop a relationship, even in a relatively short time. You know, I listen to calls and even within the first five minutes, the crisis counselor can start to diffuse this situation by treating the person with respect, listening to them, and asking 
about what their intentions are in terms of their you know, suicidal behavior, their reasons for dying, which people in your social network are probably you know, not going to be comfortable asking you. They also ask about your reasons for living, but they'll be able to connect with the caller in such a way that the caller trusts them and then is honest about, you know, what they're planning to do. And then they'll work together in a collaborative way to try to figure out how to keep them safe. It may be for the night, it may be for the next couple of days until they can get connected to other services. Now, best practices to also offer to follow up with them. It might be to follow up with them in a few hours or the next day, and that to work with them to connect with some longer-term care. Madeline, you've been studying the effectiveness of these hotlines for many years. Can you tell us what you found? Are they effective? Between 80 and 90 percent of callers or texters or people who chat will tell us that the crisis intervention stopped them from killing themselves. Yeah, and a higher percentage will even say that it kept them safe. You know, like 90% will say that. Wow. Are these like five-hour conversations? You know, they range. They could be hours, but on average, it's about 20 minutes. That's amazing. The idea that in 20 minutes, you can keep somebody from dying by suicide. I've heard it. I've, I've been astounded myself. People who are skilled can keep someone safe. And I'm talking about with someone who's suicidal. So the one phone call or the one text is not going to cure anybody. Absolutely not. But what it can do is diffuse, de-escalate the situation so that, you know, it's sometimes been described as changing from a hot to a cool frame of mind. It sounds like that's very effective for people who are uh, immediately considering suicide or like an immediate danger, but would that also help somebody who's just suicidal in general? It does, because especially 988, it's designed not for just folks who are at imminent risk of engaging in suicidal behavior, but for you know mental health crises more generally and substance abuse problems as well. If you can help somebody in, in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour and, and help them not commit suicide, and that didn't exist 30 years ago. What was the realization that suddenly made this possible? It did exist, but they weren't, you know, crisis hotlines weren't taken seriously. There wasn't a network, that didn't exist. So if someone called a certain hotline and that it was busy, that would be the end of the call. Now, the power of the network is that if it's one crisis center is busy, the call gets routed to another crisis center or there's a backup center. Now there's much more standardization of the training. Um, now there's many more interventions generally for suicidal people than there were 30 years ago. So, you know, I don't want to make it seem that this is the only thing that's needed. You still need the interventions. You still need the treatment. You still need the more universal preventive programs that can start as young as first grade with coping strategies and different behavioral skills that young kids can obtain. And that when we talk about 988, it's one piece of a larger behavioral crisis care system. That larger system 
is connecting the crisis hotlines to mobile crisis teams and to crisis uh, stabilization units that are being built. So it's not just the crisis hotline or crisis call alone. Yes, it's keeping them alive. How much more critically important can that be? But the crises can reemerge. We've seen that. So they're going to need some longer-term care and connections, and it's that system that needs to be developed. That was Madeline Gould, professor of epidemiology and psychiatry at Columbia University, whose research helped to create the new 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And this is Conversations with Sydney. Hello, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) This program was produced in association with WBGO Studios and with support from the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. And the Rosalind Carter Fellowship for Mental Health Journalism and Media. Please check out our next episode where we explore the paradox of self-injury and why some teens hurt themselves in order to feel better. If you are having thoughts of suicide, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988.